So after listening to part one of this episode, you now can do immediate dentine sealing, but it's kind of not finished yet because when the patient comes back and you remove the temporary onlay, be it a physical temporary like we discussed or like a clip or a telio, you still have to reactivate your immediate dentine sealing. So this episode will walk you through that entire process and I'm so glad that part one was received so well. In fact, while I'm recording this introduction, I'm having a look because we just published 173, which is the part one of this episode of Mediate Dentine Sealing. And I'm reading your comments and I'm just amazed about how well this episode has done. Aisha Iqbal said it's so good. Well, thank you so much, Aisha. Mohammed Hamoda says, thank you for your priceless efforts. Well, we really appreciate that. You know, the, it's a team effort. One of these episodes I've calculated takes about 32 hours of time to edit. So really appreciate that. And Jairaj Menon says hi from Malaysia. Well, hello back to you from Malaysia, Jairaj. You know, I went to Malaysia and had such a lovely time. I visited Penang and KL and also Langkawi. So all of these beautiful places and I had such a great cultural experience, such great food. My biggest regret is because I didn't know about it. I didn't know about Ramli Burger, right? I only found out about Ramli Burger while I was in Singapore and I didn't get to go back to Malaysia. So huge regret is not eating at Ramli Burger in Malaysia. So if you have the chance to eat at this place, apparently it's absolutely iconic. Anyway, I digress. In the last episode, I left you on a cliffhanger. I asked Zahid about whether you can skip the local anesthetic if you've done a good immediate dentine sealing. So the first thing you'll hear is us discussing that. But if you haven't listened to part one already, please do check it out. The Protrusive Dental Pearl for this episode is a beautiful infographic that Team Protrusive has made for you. Our infographics are pretty famous now. Like they are exactly what you need to summarize an entire episode and much more. It's a helpful visual guide. So if you'd like to download this infographic, if you're a Protrusive Guidance member, just check out the Protrusive Vault section. Or under the premium episode, you'll see that the PDF download is there for you to check out. It's also available as an image. If you're not yet a premium member, then you can check out protrusive.co.uk forward slash IDS. That's forward slash IDS. And I'll be able to email you that PDF myself. Just before we go to the main episode, I just want to say thank you so much. I've been absolutely blown away because just yesterday we opened the door to Protrusive Guidance, our new and improved app. And I've been blown away by the number of requests. Now, please be patient because I'm only allowing dental professionals into this network. I want this to be a really safe space and I want us to have this place to be nice and geeky with each other. I think a, a defining point about being a Protruserati is that you are humble, you are kind, you are geeky, you love the little details and you love to share and learn. So please do join. To join the community is completely free. If you head over to protrusive.app, it should, by the time this recording, take you to the Protrusive Guidance platform. If it doesn't, by the way, I'll put it in the show notes. But very soon, we're moving away from my existing platform to the new one and the new platform has a big space that you don't even have to pay for. I want this community to be there for everyone, whether you're a dental student or an experienced dentist, a place to share cases, a place to mentor each other and guide each other. So if you bleed Protrusive Blue and you'd like to be part of the Protruserati, download the Protrusive Guidance app, sign up for the free community membership, and it'll be great to say hello to you on the platform. Now let's join Zahid and the main episode. When we now come to the fit appointment, uh, yes. I have heard that because we're doing immediate dentine sealing, that it's so good that you may not need to use local anesthetic. I just give local. I I just prefer to give local. I, I want to be known as a painless dentist, right? So yes, I just give local. Yes, but I know yes, some yes. colleagues say, because I've sealed the dentine, I will skip the LA. Where do you stand on that? So like we were discussing before about working in a specific zone, you can't have one rule for everything. I think there's specific patients that would tolerate having indirect restoration fitted without LA but the majority of patients would not tolerate that. 
the reason why I would say that is because you've got, when you're going to do your uh, indirect restoration segmentation, you're going to do that under isolation with rubber dap. You're going to place your clamp. That clamp might pinch on that gingiva. The patient might not like that very much, especially mm-hmm. when you, after you're cementing your restoration. Also, with the light cure will generate some heat as well. And some patients do and some patients don't, but some patients do feel it when you're light curing, especially if you're... If, if it's root-filled, again, once again, if it's root-filled, again, that might be one that might sway you a little bit yes. more. If you can isolate in a way that's not damaging <laughs> to, uh, or traumatic, then yeah, that might again yes. sway you to using no LA. But generally, when it comes to, especially when it comes to the cleanup, I think LA is important or is would have been important beforehand because I'm using like a number 12 scalpel, I'm using a sickle scaler, I'm using polishing strips in between the teeth. I'm going around with an ultrasonic scaler as well with, with a thin tip. I'm doing all these things to make sure I've removed all the excess everywhere. And the majority of patients would not tolerate that without a local anesthetic. So it is possible in an ideal scenario. But I'd say if you want to have an easy life, if you don't want to worry about your patient being in pain during the procedure, don't be smart. Just just number one. Don't have to face a situation later on when you've, when you've mm-hmm. isolated the whole situation. You're in in the scenario, you're doing the, your cementation and then the patient just can't tolerate it. You take everything off and numb them up again. And then you're just adding on minutes to your appointment and more stress to you. So yes, you can do it. And some people do it routinely, but I would say just make your life easy and just numb them up from the beginning. We're, we're on the same page there, totally. So you've numbed them up, uh, you've removed the temporary using mosquitoes or whatever, you're going to get your rubber dam back on. Actually, before, let's just complete the process, right? So me personally, I'm I'm cleaning the, the, the tooth before I get the dam on because I do, I know some people are against it. Uh, like Some people say there's no point trying in because you've tried it on the model and you're happy with everything on the model. Then there, there are some risks of trying in overlays and onlays to, you know, fractures and also dropping out of the patient's mouth. All, all sorts of things that can happen, have happened to both of us, I'm sure. And also contaminating it, bloody, bloody, bloody and you can't reliably check the occlusion with it all these sorts of factors what do you do there's certain labs that will offer to silenate your restorations for you before they send it back to you like your emax restoration but to me that makes no etch, sense you mean you mean etch not silenate you mean you mean etch right so, hfh so there's some the, i mean the majority will hfh but some will also silenate the restoration for really you I, I didn't know this yes i, I honestly didn't know this okay. so that to, that to me makes absolutely no sense because i'm going to try in the try in the restoration before i cement so i don't want to contaminate that layer but yeah, so no way. like you, I'd remove the remove the temporary, clean up the preparation, try on the restoration to make sure it fits. I've never had an issue. And the with... contacts, you've got to get the contacts right. I mean, fair enough, exclusion exactly. can be difficult to assess, but the contacts, you've got to check the contacts, the marginal integrity. I've you know, one in twenty, I might reject. Yeah. It also it helps you plan in terms of how you're going to submit your restoration. Let's say the contacts are a little bit tight. You either going to if they're very tight and your restoration's just not seating, you're either going to send it back or you're going to adjust it chair side with your technique with the uh, articulating paper on the floss to check where the tight contacts are or if it's mm-hmm. slightly tight then you know maybe i need to pre-wedge this area to create a little bit of space in between the teeth so i can cement this and it will be okay hey guys jazz i'm just going to interject with the floss trick in case you miss it this is actually really powerful i didn't know about this for many years and my buddy ricky bopal prosthodontist taught me it and i just think what a terrible way i used to check contacts before this like usually i'm trying to crown in and i've got this articulating paper on this miller's forceps and i'm trying to kind of feed it in between the crown and the adjacent tooth and try and tug on it to see where this crown is tight which contact in which area is tight and that's really difficult and i've had these scenarios whereby the crown has fallen out and the patient has almost swallowed it. So this way using the floss, aka the floss trick of checking for tight contacts is so much easier. So you've tried the crown in and it's not fully seating. 
or it could be the onlay, for example, and it's not seating because it's too fat, it's too wide. And sometimes this could be because the adjacent teeth have kind of drifted in, right? If you haven't got a temporary or it's been lost, or sometimes you had an open contact, now that's kind of got closed. So whatever caused it, the scenario now is you're bonding this crown in and you can't even check the margins because you can't seat the tooth down. So what you need to do is get some floss, any old floss, right? I personally like tape, like, you know, taped floss. And I get my red articulating paper. I use an AccuFilm and I would pinch the floss and I would pinch that articulating paper onto the floss and drag that pinched articulating paper all the way across the floss. So, okay, so the, the middle portion of the floss has now got ink on it. Now, my assistant will hold the crown very securely with her finger. So she's got a hold on that and I will floss it. And as I floss down, it'll eventually go through. But when it goes through, it will leave the mark exactly where you need to adjust that crown, if that's what's appropriate for that crown. Now you could do this mesial and distal, and then it gives you an area to adjust. So I like to use uh, rugby ball diamonds, like a very fine ones, and I've got a whole ceramic polishing kit. I think the one I use by Diacomp. And then you try it again, and you keep going until you get that nice contact that you desire. And it's been a few years of me using this, and it works really well. So if you're checking contacts any other way, stop it, switch to the floss trick, and you will not regret it. So mm -hmm. that trial insertion gives you so much information in terms of what might I need to change in my protocol for cementation to make sure everything fits correctly. And that's usually what I'll do. So yeah, I would clean up the preparation, try on the restoration, make sure everything's good in terms of how it's fitting and where it's fitting and making sure that will also help me assess, do I, is there a slight discrepancy between where the restoration finishes and where my preparation finishes? Is that going to cause a problem if I use a resin cement as opposed to a heated composite? Do I need to fill mm -hmm. that discrepancy with a heated composite? So I think just Indeed. checking on the model is just not enough. There's, there's, Agreed. you can get great accuracy with scanners as well as with impressions, but there's always a degree of inaccuracy that comes with first taking an impression, then pouring up a model, then create the lab, developing the restoration before sending it back to you. So there's lots of errors that can be developed in that period. It's not like you've just got the tooth there and then you're cementing a restoration that's a like for like fit. There's errors along the way that could develop. So yeah, all how, that... how long are you spending at the, the the fit appointment for a standard overlay? Forty five minutes. Yeah, same, same. Which a lot of people will say, "Whoa, you guys are slow and whatnot." But you know, we do all these checks, man. Like, uh, yeah. I, I enjoy those appointments and forty five minutes of the the right time. It's sometimes even then I might run late if it's been like really yeah. tight contacts so or the occlusion needs lots of adjustment. But most of the time, I'm finishing five minutes early or on time, mm -hmm. and it's not like a rushed or stressed appointment. Mm -hmm. You know, you're really taking a lot of care and pride in every little step. You know, when I'm bonding, I, I, in my mind, I'm seeing like a scanning electron microscope of the dentine. I'm seeing the hybrid layer forming. Like this is just yeah. my, the way my mind works right and i feel like it go make helps the day go quicker it helps to bring some fulfillment and enjoyment and i know you're the same man yeah. in, in terms of when you're doing these steps right yeah for sure for sure i think trying to for me personally my philosophy is just to make sure if you're going to do it do it right the first time don't try and rush things and then something fails and then you have to correct it if you're going to do it do it right the first time take your time do it properly and then you're confident in your work that you've provided especially working in general practice we see our recalls we see these restorations that we've placed in the patients that are wearing these restorations. You know, we see where we might have failed at this. There's, you know, there's a little something missing here or this is not fitting as well as I would have liked. So if you don't want to look at your crap work, just don't do crap work. <laughs> <laughs>
take pride in the work that it's you do. It's a journey. It, it's a journey. Look, I'm sure we can both look at our previous work and uh, in early years and, and, and see the improvement we've made over the years. Oh, but, you know, sure, it's important to sure. keep striving. It's, it's important to keep striving uh, and keep learning and, and keep applying. So it's talking about talking of applying. You know, you've now applied the rubber dam on and uh, you, w- 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 let's not go into the interest time. Let's not go. Oh, actually, no. I think that'd be a disservice. We've come this far now. Let's just talk about treatment of your ceramic as well. It's probably going to be a two-part episode here. So let's talk about the treatment of the ceramic. Are you using IvoClean? Because I, I, I use IvoClean at the moment. Or are you using your AquaCare? Or w- w- what are your steps? Because you've now tried it in. Technically, mm-hmm. your uh, onlay is dirty, right? Yeah. So what are you doing to clean it? So in terms of how I clean, you, you're using the IvoClean. So that's like everything in one. So you, you don't have to worry too much about how much time you're taking. But for me, so once I've tried it in, then it will get uh, hydrofluoric acid etch. But once that's done, then I'll use the phosphoric acid etch. Once that's mm-hmm. done, then it will go into an ultrasonic bath for five minutes. I use water, but you can use alcohol as well. And water is like legit? Is, like, is that halal? Water. Is that kosher? Just to use distilled? Okay. Distilled water. It's okay, yeah? Yeah. yeah that's right. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just well, distilled water, like in terms of where it lives in my surgery, like is it a special special package with distilled water or, or what? I think it's just the stuff you can get from whatever they use in decon, really. As long, uh, to yeah, be honest, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. yeah, as long as it's clean water, I think you've not. Got a problem. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, these yeah, are yeah. just the minutiae of the steps to help keep everything clean. So your hydrofluoric acid etch will sort of prime the surface of the ceramic to get it ready for bonding. Then your orthophosphoric acid etch will remove any precipitates that have been developed from potentially overetching the crystals that develop on the surface. Then your ultrasonic bath will also remove any precipitate mm. that might be there. Once that's all I done, know some people use um, steam cleaning as well as, yes, a, a, as yeah. a way to, to, to clean. That's a valid option. I know Rustam Mupin uh, does that. I went to his practice many years ago, shouted at him, he, he did that. Uh, I'm using the IvoClean and then I'm doing the HF etching. Then I'm also doing the phosphoric acid. See, I've got an uh, ultrasonic bath. Shout out to, to Andy McIntyre from Scotland who, who got me onto this uh, jewelry cleaner, ultrasonic bath, yeah. right, from Amazon. Yeah. Is that is that what you're using as well? Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's just like this big. It's a tiny little. Mine's thing a bit bigger, man. I don't know why I went for the jumbo size. And, and literally, <laughs> it sat there. And Zoe, my nurse, is so pissed off me. Like, Jazz, you bought this thing. When are you going to open it? Right? I'm like, I will come to it. I will come to it, kind of thing. Right? <laughs> um, these little fine details of distilled water, alcohol. I, I'm kind of on the fence of what to use. So I'm probably just going to have to open it. And yes, to use that is gold standard, right? So you yeah. want to put it in there for three minutes, I believe you said. And then at that point, uh, you got a nice etched surface of mm-hmm. your ceramic. And then I'm a Panavia fanboy. A lot of time, obviously. If there's a larger marginal discrepancy, I'll be using heated composites. With I totally agreement there, but yeah. uh, as part of the protocol, we're we'll using the the ceramic primer, the white bottle. Yes, right to silenate. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's a really important step. So you need to make sure if you're using an Emex restoration that you need to know how you treat the surface of that restoration when you're cementing it. So you need to make sure whichever resin cement or if you're using heated composite that you do silenate the surface of the ceramic before you before you fit it because it's like parts of a sandwich like you've got your base layer bread which is your dentine then you've got your margarine or butter which is your (laughs) whatever you want to use which is then your dentine bonding adhesive and then you've got your reinforcement with your flowable which is like let's say your lettuce then you've got your composite or your resin cement which is like your tomatoes then you've got your silane which is your next layer your cheese basically and then you've got your ceramic after that, which is the other layer of the bread. This is a vegetarian sandwich. And okay, you, I was about you, to say, man, there's something <laughs> missing. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, and then, so all those layers need to be fit together for this to work. Yeah. So so that's where that's why uh, silenating your restoration is really important. And then there's other little things that you can do, like there's evidence to show that heating the, the silane also helps with your cementation protocol. So the way I would do it is, 
if we go back, to, I've tried the restoration in. I'm happy with the restoration seating. Then I've got my rubber dam isolation done. Then while I'm sort of getting everything ready with the rubber dam, I've given my nurse to restoration to do all the HF. Uh, <gasps> she does all of that. I taught her how to do it. So she no. does it all. Yes. Uh, yeah, after initially sounding like, you know, um, <laughs> the most biggest control freak in the world, suddenly you just dropped this bomb on us. That actually, you know, you know what? I delegate to a nurse. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> no, I trust. I trust her. She's an amazing nurse, and she's she's yeah. her OCD is worse than mine. So, okay. so that's, that's really really important. So yeah. So <laughs> while that's all happening, I'm getting everything else ready for the cementation stage of the restoration. And then yeah. So after you've heated, if you're if you're choosing to heat your silane, it also helps to heat the restoration because if you're using heated composite, then it helps so with keeping mm-hmm. everything nice and warm. Because obviously your your paste composite will become rapidly very cold very quickly. Yeah. And then you're cementing your restoration, basically. And if you, I use Panavia as well. Now, but we didn't talk about actually activating the IDS. Ah, uh, yes, yes. So in terms of activation of the IDS, so that would be done after you've got your rubber dam on, everything's kosher, everything's ready. You've cleaned up, you've removed your temporary cement. That's all cleaned off the preparation. And now you need to activate your IDS again to get it ready for cementation. So you can either, the, obviously the gold standard is use air abrasion. But you can also use pumice paste again, or you can roughen the surface with a corsper at low speed. But you need to get rid of that sort of surface layer of your IDS to reactivate it and get it ready for bonding. And that's the, those are the three different ways that you can do that. Okay. Now, yeah. I, I mean, it kind of makes sense to me, I guess, to, to reactivate it. But all this time, it, it hasn't. If the temporary stayed on, it hasn't touched saliva. And if you've been yeah. raised lick with rubber dam and stuff, you know, the, the, uh, you know, reactivating it, I still do it. And I use my aeration and activate it and stuff. But, to, uh, you know, I always look at the scientific basis or, or common sense approach. I do it because that's what the protocol says. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Who knows how much difference it makes in terms of, you know, is it actually reactivating anything? I don't yeah, know. yeah, no. But for me, it's like making sure everything is clean as possible. So for I don't sure. want I don't 100%. want any little bits of temp bond or anything like that anywhere near my my preparation i guess also it can help with removing bacteria bacterial ingress that will happen underneath your restoration that sort of stuff but yeah just for me making sure everything is as clean as possible that's really really important and that's it really isn't it you know that that, that, there's nothing more to it other than air abrasion and then you're ready to carry on so that is the the final step of the ids that happens a few weeks few weeks later unless you're like Uh you know serec kind of thing a few hours later but that in terms of activating and now you're ready to do the bonding protocol and it's like as per panavia is about to touch on is about putting the tooth primer all over the the ids and the enamel and the Mm-hmm. There, would, there wouldn't be any dentine exposed because you've covered it all with the IDS, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. Exactly. And then you're ready to, to use the protocol as per Panavia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we, we pretty much covered in part one about how to actually uh, do the initial appointment. Part two, we talked about nuances of overlays and onlays and actually how to activate it, which is a very simple thing to do. But let's talk about actually the disadvantages of IDS. Are there any bad points of IDS that we should consider? Because, you know, we know the advantages. You mentioned that in episode one of this uh, series, whereby it increases the micro tensile bond strength and it seals the dentine. So hopefully the patient will have less sensitivity at home. And it just makes sense. You don't want your freshly exposed dentine, those poor tubules to be exposed to, to saliva and bacteria you know it totally makes sense mm-hmm. but what is the downside of it so the disadvantages can be that it can be very technique sensitive it can add stress to your preparation appointment which you may not necessarily need if you've got other stresses around you at the same time because in dentistry there's many factors involved it's not just a tooth there's a patient there's a nurse there's your surgery so it can add that extra layer of stress to your appointment but there's also other things that you have to do under rubber dam isolation I would say you don't necessarily have to, but if you want to do it properly, then doing it under rubber dab isolation is essential. And maybe I, not, I, I totally you may not be 
Some people may not be that slick at placement of rubber dam or inverting the dam correctly. Hey guys, it's Jazz just interjecting with some advice. If you're struggling with rubber dam, then please check out my quick and slick rubber dam webinar and the 32 clinical videos that supplement it showing through the loop view of real time me putting rubber dam on. Now it sounds really boring me putting rubber dam on, but if you're struggling with isolation, it's actually way better than shadowing someone. When you're shadowing someone and you're over their shoulder and you're trying to catch the nuances of what they're doing, it's difficult. But the way I've recorded it through my loops, the view you get is absolutely amazing. So you get to see exactly how I position my fingers, the exact protocol that me and my assistant follow for daily bread and butter rubber dam isolation. The webinar itself is called Quick and Slick Rubber Dam, and I've separated the different videos in terms of anterior, upper left quadrant, lower right quadrant, etc., etc. So everything is on there. And to access this, you need an ultimate education plan, which can be purchased through protrusive.app. The other webinars you get with this are Verti Prep for Plonkers, you get premium clinical videos, and you get the brand new sectioning school. So if you're struggling, with extractions, then this is going to be absolutely amazing for you. Oh, and you can get CPD as well while you're at it. So check out protrusive.app if you want to have a deep dive into my masterclasses. Other things that disadvantages are that you have to change your protocol, especially with your temporaries. You have to be aware that once you go through that one scenario of your temporary bonding to your preparation, you never want to go through that again. When you have to sit there at your cementation appointment and trade off your temporary restoration and cry afterwards to <laughs> get them back in again you won't want to go through that any more times. Um, it's, it's another layer of complexity, but yes. like everything, like the juice must be worth the squeeze. And I think mm -hmm. to get the, the best bond strength and less post-op sensitivity or whatever, it, it, it makes sense to do. And just like we said in the first version of, of this, or the first iteration of, of our series together uh, about Marco Grisnitz's research about, you know, veneers bonded to dentine and how amazingly well they're, they're, they're doing, it just it just makes it's a no-brainer to me you know nowadays mm -hmm. everyone should be IDSing all the materials are readily available yes it takes more time yes it's a bit more technique sensitive but once you get the flow of it and yes you have to mitigate the whole temporary sticking to it but it just makes sense what I want to know is just for completeness for, for everyone is when you do it so for example we discussed okay anytime you're bonding right anytime you're doing an adhesive indirect now this could be an, a lithium desilicate onlay this could be a lithium desilicate or feldspathic veneer for example that's got some dentine underneath for example mm -hmm. how about some of our colleagues that are using uh, zirconia adhesively. So maybe they're doing, uh, I don't do this by the way, but I know some people that do, like zirconia overlays and onlays. I guess I should be asking them. I don't, know, I don't think you do this, but, but, but tell us about that. So with, with recent developments, especially, so the main proponent of bonding zirconia is Marcus Blatt. And he's put out a lot of information online about how to cement adhesively using zirconia. I personally cherry-picked particular cases if I'm trying to bond uh, adhesively with zirconia, but I think it's uh, well, we do we do it resin bridges like yes, laterals yes. Uh, and, and and that works. But you're on enamel at that point, right? Exactly. Uh, but like, yeah. let's say you're doing that lower molar that we started off in episode one, and you do the exact same protocol except the uh, in your lab docket instead of taking Emacs or lithium desilicate, you've selected zirconia. Some people do it for strength or whatever, but I just think the bonding predictability. It is getting there, but it's it's not as tried as tested as lithium disilicate. So I guess what I'm getting at is, if you are doing that anyway, benefit of immediate dentine sealing is still it's, still, it's a characteristic of the tooth. It's a characteristic of the dentine. It's, it's still exactly. worth doing it, right? It's not. I would say IDS is not dependent on the indirect restoration that you place. IDS is dependent on the tooth itself. So regardless, if you're using non-precious metal, if you're bonding gold adhesively, whatever you're bonding adhesively, it's it's important for the tooth to be protected with ideas for sure. Okay, and uh, last question now is, 
you know, in 2005, Pascal Manier, as you said, uh, published that about uh, IDS, and I've seen a lot of stuff come through, and everyone's very excited still, and it's something I didn't get taught about dental school, and I love doing it, and, I, and you do you do as well. Has anything actually changed? And I think you mentioned in our pre-chat about uh, endodontics, something that might have changed, because is there any benefit of a non-vital tooth having uh, IDS if it's no longer a living structure, if you like, you see, because there's yeah. no pulp anymore. So, so what does the literature have to say about that? So the literature is not so clear-cut about do using root-treated teeth. All the data that's out there traditionally has all been on vital teeth. Maybe it's somewhere something that can be assessed in the future in terms of is there any difference with living collagen and dead collagen when it comes well, to... What bond? about all those benchtop studies? I mean, I, I guess if they're doing it on extracted teeth, but, but, but you know, they are, but by that regard, not, not acting like the real thing. Yes. So Pascal Manier's studies that he did were on, were on freshly extracted teeth which were then mm -hmm. the IDS was done and then they were sectioned and, and tested. So they obviously it's hard to do the studies on anything that's living <laughs> inside the mouth. But those tests that were done were done on freshly, freshly extracted teeth. So as close to sort of vital teeth as possible. But I guess rather than freshly extracted endodontically filled teeth, for example. Exa exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So there is a question there that is there any added benefit of using IDS or non-vital teeth, teeth that may have been non-vital for a very long time. You know, if you've got your discolored, you've got your sclerosis dentine, are you getting, gaining any added benefit from, from doing IDS to that surface after you freshly cut it? I would still I would still say that definitely be some sort of benefit to it because you're still priming. The collagen is still there, whether it's dead or not, it's still there. And your dentine is still there, your dentine or tubules, everything is still there. And you still want to get your solvent and your resin into those areas, get those tags and create that area of adhesion and strength. But in terms of what's new with regards to IDS, it's the pre-endodontic IDS. So rather than using IDS to improve the bond strength, you're using it also before you do your endodontic treatment to protect the dentine, to stop the contaminants like bacteria, saliva, and in all of your endodontic irrigants that you're using to damage that dentine. So you've sort of, let's say it's a vital case, like an irreversible pulpitis. You've, you've accessed into the tooth, and now before you're going on, going on ahead and doing your endodontic treatment, you just sort of place your PTFE over the access or over where the, where the pulp chamber is. And then you do your etch, your prime and bond onto the dentine surface. And that would seal off the dentine and protect it from any contamination because we know that sodium hypochlorite and EDTA, we know what they do on dentine when it comes to doing root canal treatment. We know EDTA works on the dentine and removes the smear layer. They can also damage the dentine that's around and then the sodium hypochlorite denatures organic substance, so it will denature the collagen. So if you want to improve the bond strength of your eventual restoration after your endodontic treatment, then by providing IDS, you can protect that crucial area. I've never done that, but it, it makes sense, right? It makes sense in, in how you describe it there. So, okay, I, I guess that's uh, something that's uh, another thing that, that we've learned today and we can we can actually apply. Uh, Zahid, you've answered every single question I had uh, about immediate dentist healing and you did it brilliantly and it was a really nice spa with you and, and discuss all, all these geeky adhesive things that up, uh, you know, us protrusorati really love and that's why you, you do Bleed Blue. So how can we follow you on the socials because you've got a really cool Instagram handle uh, and then how can we learn more from you? So on Instagram, my Instagram account is your dentist Zahid. It's a bit weird that that's my uh, Instagram handle because my my Instagram account is sort of dentist facing, not patient facing. But that was always my sort of my go to from the beginning that if I was going to play put anything on Instagram, I wanted it to be beneficial for dentists and something that people could learn from. Because it's great that you can just post stuff and before and afters and it looks great. People are like, oh wow, 
But if, if you want to help people and show them how you do it and get more engagement with the community, then I think being able to show them what you do, reflect on your own failures and your successes and discuss these things, I think that's the, that's the best way for us to grow and get better as a community of dentists, for sure. So yeah, so my Instagram is at your dentist Zahid. And some courses that I saw that you, you've put out recently, I've seen yes. some posters, looks very exciting. You know, I saw that you're covering adhesive also, my, my beloved Vertipreps as well, you're, you're doing <laughs> some of that as well. So, you know, I, I see your work and uh, it, it's great in both adhesive dentistry and vertical. And what I love about people like you and Alan Bergen is that you know, there is no such thing as everything is going to be an onlay or everything's going to be vertical. You are very much, you know, every tooth bites merit. So tell us more about your course. So, yeah, so um, I think it's a long time coming because I do a lot of putting put a lot of stuff out there on Instagram, but eventually I needed to take the next step and actually sort of teach in person. And that's where Zoheib Kwaja, he, he approached me about running a course and I was like, yes, I'm ready. And he's an excellent dentist as well. He has lots of experience with teaching also. And uh, he's a prostodontist. So he is a restorative, he's special interest restorative dentistry. I can't list off all the MSCs that he's got, but he's got too many, man. <laughs> but yeah, he also teaches that guys to the undergrads and the postgrads as well. And yeah, so we decided that we wanted to create a course where we could help upskill newly qualified dentists and dentists that have been qualified for a long time who wanted, who see all of this stuff that's out there with IDS and onlays, overlays, vertipreps, but don't know necessarily how to do it. And I've, I'm sure you, I don't know about you, but I've been in a situation where I've seen something on Instagram or Facebook and thought, let me try that out. And then I try it out and I'll fail miserably because I don't actually know. I, I see the technique, but I don't know how to do it properly. I don't know the ins and outs, mm -hmm. the nuances. And, th and then you think that, oh, this technique is not so good, but actually you didn't do that technique justice. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, this course is, is for everyone, sort of all types of dentists, anyone who wants to upskill in terms of understanding adhesive dentistry, knowing the differences between onlays, overlays, learning how to do vertipreps, but also other things like treatment planning, bigger cases, understanding tooth wear and how to manage that, understanding occlusion. It's almost like a very intense crash course in restor adhesive restorative dentistry. But yeah, we cover lots of stuff. The mainstays are- Where is it based? So we've got a London course, which is unfortunately sold out. Well, I say London, but it's in Weybridge in Surrey. That's unfortunately <laughs> sold out. But our next course, which we've also launched is in, is in Manchester. And that's got about, I think about four spaces left at the time of recording. So when is that? So that is in uh, on the 27th and the 28th of April. It's okay, Saturday sweet. and Sunday. So for those dentists that don't want to miss, that, that can't take time off work, any issues like that, we've given you the whole weekend. So we've taken time away from Wicked. our families to come and be with, be with you and help teach you. But yeah, it'll be an intense two days. It's going to be an amazing two days and can't wait for it. I wish you all the best for that. And I think you, uh, anyone who goes to that will, will learn a lot. So uh, I'd snap up those last few places. Zahid, thanks so much for, for everything, for being a Patricia Ranti for all these years, for connecting and, and, and engaging on Instagram and being a, a true member of the Patricia Ranti and our community. And so it's been great to chat with you today. Thank you so much, my friend. Not a problem. I just wanted to say one last thing about you, Jazz. You are such an inspiration to everyone all around, everyone who's young. I mean, we saw you. With, I, I remember reading your name in these papers that were getting published when I was like, in my final year or in VT and thinking, who is this guy? Why is he everywhere? But then when I when I when I finally got to meet you and sort of even just seeing you chat on on, on YouTube and all these ah, oh, there's so much learning that you provide to the general population of dentists. It's amazing. And even in international community. Uh, and then getting to go with you to, to Portugal to be Audrey and Listen, learn about we're going, we're going to Sicily next if you want to come by the yes. way. <laughs> no, so I, that's what I was gonna say. So anyone who wants to learn in a completely open environment i would say definitely go to that sicily course uh, on vertipreps i definitely recommend it
Amazing. That's being taught by yeah. Marco Mailino. But you know, thank you so much for, for your kind words, uh, Zahida. No Again, it's been, it's been so nice to connect with you and get to know you, which is one of the, the best things that ever happened to me on the, on the podcast as it, as it grew, is just connecting with people like you, my friend. So, so thank you. No problem whatsoever. Thanks for having me on. Well, there we have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Now, can you answer the following question? The question is, what is the purpose of pre-endodontic immediate dentine sealing? Is it A, to improve the bond strength? Is it B, to protect the dentine from contaminants before endodontic treatment? Is it C, to speed up the endodontic treatment process? Or D, to enhance the color of the teeth? If you know the answer to this question, then you're almost there to getting verified CPD, emailed by my CPD queen, Marie, straight to your inbox. The way you can get in on this is through the Protrusive app. There's two different memberships that you get certificates for. One is access to the premium version of the podcast where you get like the premium notes and the transcript and it opens up the Protrusive vault so everything's there and easy for you to download. And about 98% of the episodes have CPD quizzes so you can go ahead and rack up those CE points as you listen to the podcast. And it's actually amazing value. It's about the cost of a Nando's per month. Now, if you really enjoy what Team Protrusive are doing and you want to join the Ultimate Education Plan, that's got all that access to the CPD from the Protrusive episodes, but you get all my masterclasses and mini courses as well. So head over to protrusive.app to check that out. Otherwise, thank you again to my guest, Side Check. He did a wonderful job, Dini, of breaking down immediate dentine sealing. And I thank you, the listener and watcher, for joining us all the way to the end. Bye for now and see you same time, same place next week.